probably a very difficult subject. And the subject we want to cover today is the subject of accountability. We have uh, found that in CEF's early beginnings, it was a major struggle. The major struggle was with this whole area of accountability. Could children under 12 accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior? I pastored my first church, and we had a lady who went out in 1932 in CEF, which was called uh, Backyard Bible Clubs, and she went out to minister in Sacramento to open the whole area up to the clubs and reaching children. As she went to the Sacramento area, church after church refused to support her because they did not believe that any child under 12 could receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior. The interesting uh, thing that you're gonna to find today is not only was it in Sacramento, but you're gonna to find today that you're gonna go out and you're gonna find churches that still question the whole area. Can a child under 12 receive the Lord Jesus Christ as personal savior? And that is why we've included uh, in your training this segment that we might have an answer for those who are questioning, is there an age of what we call accountability? The first thing we need to ask is, does the Bible deal with ages? Yes. There are a lot of questions you may ask yourself. Why did the Lord Jesus wait until he was 30 in order to begin a public ministry? Did not he have something important to say uh, before he was 30. I've taught in Bible colleges where we graduated young people that started at 17. They were through at 21 going out to minister. Surely if a Bible college students and these preacher boys at 21 and 22 uh, have something to say, surely does not uh, the Lord Jesus Christ have something meaningful to deliver at the age before he was 30? So the age 30 is an important age. And as you look through scripture, you will find there are certain ages that are uh, mentioned and are obvious. The first place we want to look is in Numbers 14, uh, 28 through 30. We want to look at this. We see the Bible does deal with ages. In uh, verse 28, uh, in Numbers 14, it says, Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. Your carcass shall fall in this wilderness. And all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear unto you, dwell therein, save Caleb and Joshua. And so here we see a number. First of all, he uses this thing, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness. So park your carcass is a very biblical term, and they were going to stay in the wilderness. They were not going to go into the promised land. Everyone, 20 years on up, was going to have to die except Joshua and uh, Nun. But the those that were under 20, these were going to be able to go into the promised land, and they were going to be able to enter into the blessings of God. So here uh, we have the age of accountability. Dr. J. Vernon Biggie was my pastor, and he said this, if you have to have an age for accountability, biblically, it must be 20 years of age. 
Now, all of us know that people are more accountable or can be accountable to God before they're 20 years of age. But actually here you see that those under 20 are not accountable, they will not die. Those over 20 are accountable and they will die. Now we need to go in and look at some of the teaching in scripture about other ages and I think it will help us. But if someone has to have an age of accountability, the youngest of that age is 20. There is no other age given in scripture where someone was held accountable except those over 20 and those 19 and under or just 20 and under, they were not accountable. So that is actually an age of accountability. But as you look through scripture, you see it in the scripture, it looks like as you study Jewish history and culture that a ch Jewish child went through stages, different stages in the word of, uh, are mentioned in the word of God. And we wanna talk about these seven stages that are mentioned in the Word of God that can be helpful to you in understanding the development of an individual. We've already mentioned the age 30, we mentioned the age 20, there was an age 50, 12, 5 and 7, birth, and also death. So let's look at these various ages and stages. Before we do, I'd like to encourage you, if you are going to minister to children or minister to people working with children, I would encourage you to subscribe to the Biblical Archaeological Review. This magazine will help you to understand Jewish culture. Sometimes in our teaching, what we do is we Americanize the Bible and we're sharing things that are not true with children because we're sharing our concept of what it must have been like in biblical days. This magazine is a magazine that keeps you updated on the different cities they're finding, the different types of things they're digging up, and you can learn about a lot about a home, what was in the home, the kind of lights that they had in the home, all of utensils, all this kind of thing, so that you don't Americanize your teaching. We, when we visualize for children, need to be biblically accurate. I cannot tell you uh, how grieved I am when I see visuals that are not true to scripture. Because the visual concept you give a child about a truth will stick with them the rest of their life. So once you visualize scripture and you use a wrong visual, that is locked into a child. So be sure that your visuals, whether they are picture visuals with your words or actual illustrations that are drawn or pictures you have gathered, that they are biblically correct so that the child has a proper concept of biblical truth. The stages that a child's life, first of all, was birth. From birth to five years of age, the child basically was in the care of the mother. The mother's basic responsibility was to teach the child obedience to her spirit. To teach the child to be obedient. The, the meaning of the word no. So that when they said no, the child knew that they mean no. Somewhere between the ages of five and seven, the child, uh, the child as it developed, the boy child was given to the father and the girl child became the primarily responsibility of the mother. And for the next years from five, six, seven to twelve years of age, the mother began to prepare her daughter to be a homemaker, to be able to and she usually had brothers and sisters she took care of to cook, to wash, to do all the chores. And she was teaching her. And the boy was given to the father that not only would he do an apprenticeship with his father, but the spiritual teaching. 
the father was to teach the boy the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. The father's responsibility was to explain this information to a boy so that he would know exactly how his religion operated. If he uh, defiled himself by stepping on a grave, the boy needed to know what cleansing. If he did a certain thing, what sacrifice, and so on. And so the boy was taught the, the intricacies of the Jewish religion so that he could become an adult uh, participant in the service of the synagogue and then eventually provide uh, the training in his own family for his own children. And so we have the age 12. Then at the age 20, that's an interesting age because a man could not go to war until he's 20 years of age. And I think we could learn something of that. I think God knew the immaturity of a young man. In Vietnam, there were terrible atrocities that were committed by these young men under 20 years of age. Some of these fellows that were soldiers at 17, 18, and 19 did not have the maturity that they needed to handle war. So a Jewish young man did not go to war until he was, until he was at least 20 years of age. At 30 years of age, you find that was the time a man could begin a public teaching ministry in the area of religion. Now, a man could work and, and be involved in some of the things at the tabernacle or the temple under 30, but he could not actively become uh, a sacrificing of, of animals, or he could not be a teaching priest until he was 30 years of age. That is why Jesus waited till he was 30, because he came to what? Fulfill the law. And so they would have not looked at him at 27 that he should have started teaching. He would have not been received because the culture would not receive him. They knew at 30 years of age, that's when a man was old enough then to begin his ministry. And that should tell us a lot. What about young men getting into ministry before they're 30? I think it would be very uh, advantageous for young men to be closely associated with an older man or to be in an internship or an apprenticeship would be just a, a tremendous thing, especially in spiritual ministry. And if not, if you're going and you're here in the class and you're under uh, 30 and you're going to begin your ministry under 30, then closely align yourself up to whoever is the authorities over you so that you're guided by them and, and have their wisdom. Often young men have a lot of zeal and make a lot of mistakes that could have been avoided by the talking to a uh, a more seasoned person. Let's go back now to this age of 7 to 12. The ages of 7 to 12, here we have this young Jewish lad growing up in a home. I had the privilege of visiting a home in Nazareth. And, uh, pardon me, it was Bethany where Lazarus was raised. Uh, as we uh, went to this home, it would be typical of the homes in Jesus' day. The home was just one room. It had a courtyard in front where the goats and the sheep were put at night, and the gate could be closed, and they were in. And then they could be taken out in the daytime on the hillside. And this home was on the Mount of Olives, on the side of the Mount of Olives, before you come around and see the, the, the center where the mosque is today, or where the temple used to be. So in this, on this little street is this little home and visualize this home as we walk in that you might see the kind of a home that most Jewish families, that were typical families, lived in. When you went into the front door of the home, 
after going to this little courtyard where they could put the animals at night. When you came into the, the front door, there was probably six feet from the door to the wall, maybe 10 feet down, and then you'd have 12 feet across, 10 feet up, and then six feet this way. If you could see it, just a very, very small, it would be like a, not even a large living room by our standards of a home. So you'd have a home, maybe a room by 10 by 12 would be the size of the room. And let's go around the room and let me describe what the room would look like. And this is probably the type of home that Jesus grew up in and many of our Bible characters, this was their typical home. As you come in the door, in this corner, there was a corner cupboard that fit right in the corner. And in this cupboard was everything that the family used in cooking, flour, all of that was in that one little cupboard. Between this wall and that wall, now we're going around the wall, there was, and this home was, was updated. It had a small table, which would be not as wide as a coffee table, a narrow table, rickety thing. And on this table, everything was done. There was on that table a little stove that had a one burner kerosene. And they would pump it up. Now, I don't know what they'd have used in Bible day. They probably would have cooked outside. But here they were able to be inside. And everything was cooked on this little one burner stove. And they were doing dishes. And on this stove, they happened to have a three-gallon gas drum with water in it being heated, and the older girl was doing dishes. So she had the dishes on the stove. They'd be stored in that particular cabinet. There was also a three-legged stool in the, on the floor, and you could sit on this little teeny stool with a little leather seat on it. That was all there was on this, on this wall. Uh, on the other wall, coming in, there was another cabinet, and in that cabinet was all the clothes, and at the corner cabinet was all the clothes. That's all the storage that they had in this house. Across the, as you came in, right across the back was a cot. They happened to be, to have a, a an, like an army cot uh, that was spread out a little wider than an army cot. There was the bed for the mother and the father. Now, and of course, in the Bible days, they wouldn't have had that, but there was this army cot. And then there was no other furniture in this house. On this wall, there were two windows in the front on the courtyard, no windows on the side or the back. And in this wall, they had a, uh, it looked like a carved out spot that could be a window, didn't go quite through. And in that was stored mats that were folded up and stuck in this thing, so they were off the floor. That was a sleeping mat. This was a family of nine, I believe. There were seven children and a mother and father. The mother and father slept in the cot and they'd lay out the, the, the seven sleeping mats on the floor and the children slept on the mats. And now you can understand in scripture when the man said, my wife and I are in bed. Remember the man came and knocked and said, couldn't we have bread? And he said, my wife and I are in bed. We cannot disturb the family. Literally in the dark. You can imagine the windows are not that big and here they are. He'd have to step over the children in the dark to go to the door. And he probably was sleeping on the floor himself. So as we went through Israel and began to see uh, these homes, even today, uh, some of these homes go back to the time of Christ uh, that were not cities that had not been destroyed. And as you look at these homes, or where you look at the homes where they found the foundation, and you look at the size of them, you and I uh, have no concept from America of people living in such a small, we wouldn't even hardly want to go camping in a place like that, let alone raise our family with so little things. So I trust that you will have proper illustrations for the children. So Jesus grew up, grew up in a situation like this. And it was his responsibility 
as he was growing up to learn from his father everything about his religious heritage and background. When he had learned all that there was to learn at the age of approximately 12 years of age, between 12 and 13, he would go to Jerusalem and there he would be quizzed by the leaders on how well his father had taught him the Pentateuch. Now a young man could go to the synagogue in his city or he could make a trip to Jerusalem to the temple and meet with the teachers there when he was approximately 12 years of age. This whole concept is carried over today in the Jewish culture with the bar mitzvah. When a boy is 12 or 13, he goes through a passage from being a young man to mature, and they call it a bar mitzvah, and they have a party and presents, you have Jewish friends. You know what that's all about. So that is based on Jewish heritage. Now Jesus came to fulfill it all, so he went through all of this. So let's turn to the book of Luke, chapter 2, and there's some interesting things we can pick up here in the Gospel of Luke about Jesus' life and his passage from a child to adulthood. We want to look at verses 49 through 52. We're going to kind of exegete this passage backwards. We're going to go from the bottom all the way back. But let's uh, look at this whole situation. It says, when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. As far as we know, Jesus possibly had never gone to Jerusalem before. This may have been his first trip up. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph, his mother, Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they saw him among their kinfolks and acquaintance. This was not negligence on the part of the parents. We think of a 12-year-old as being very, very immature. They thought of a 12-year-old as being very mature. From what we can gather in the materials that I've read, we have found that overall, basically, the, the uh, girls were married at a very young age. Uh, I read a book called Miriam. I believe it was put out by the Friends of Israel that indicated that Mary could have been 14 or 50 years of age when she married Joseph. So you think of 12 to 15, it's not all that far. And so children were much more mature. And so Jesus knew they were leaving. They felt that he would be within the group of the whole family because you have to realize that families lived for generations in these cities and they were interrelated. And so there was a lot of relatives. If you came from uh, a place of, in Nebraska or uh, Kansas, or somewhere, these farm communities, you'll find that these families are intermarried in their cousins and second cousins and third cousins. And many people interrelated in these small towns if they haven't moved out. And you'll find that this was the same thing, even more so in Bible days, because travel, people did not travel. It was very difficult getting around. And they stayed pretty much in their little communities, lived and died there. And so Jesus was to be in the group. And at the end of the day, I suppose, when they were uh, making dinner and going to sort themselves out, they looked and they could not find him. And it says in verse 45, and they found him now, and they went back to Jesus seeking him, or Jerusalem seeking him. And you can imagine, because we know in Bible days, people were stoned. 
There were people, God said, don't do these terrible evils. So evils against children are not something that's new, although it's very rampant in America. What is amazing to me as we travel around counseling is how many men have been sexually abused as children. Now, whether it's on the increase, I do not know, or whether men are just talking about it now a little easier. But it's very difficult for me ever to go to a church and to share with them in that church that there isn't a man or men that come to me that were sexually abused. We were amazed at the number of women, and now we're amazed at the number of men that have gone through terrible sexual abuse. So you can imagine Mary and Joseph, here their son was lost, as far as they were concerned, in one of the major cities of the world. And you can imagine all the anxiety. If, if you went uh, in St. Louis to the Arch or to the zoo, and you came all the way back, and it's, it's dark, and you looked and you left one of your children downtown St. Louis. You know how you would feel. And then driving back, trying to uh, find um, that person and looking for days. You can imagine the anguish that they had. Now the scripture just puts a parenthesis around this and it switches back. Here are the parents coming back looking for Jesus. Now the scripture tells us why he wasn't there. What was going on? It says, uh, and it came to pass after three days they found him sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and answering their questions. And all that heard Jesus were astonished at his understanding and answers. So what had happened was Jesus went and sat, and guess what he was doing? He was meeting with the leaders, and they were quizzing him like any other young man going from a child into adulthood would have to go through this time of quizzing by the leaders, and as he sat there and he was being quizzed, they were amazed at the questions or the answer to their questions. Where one boy would give, he went from here to there and you offer this sacrifice and that sacrifice would have just been common information you got from the scripture. They were amazed because Jesus was giving them the reasons why they were doing this. And they were amazed at the wisdom in this 12 year old. And at the end of the first day, I can just visualize these doctors saying, would you come back tomorrow? We're amazed. And he came back. And as they questioned him some more, he began to share not only why these things were, or what they did as requirements, but why. And they were going, wow, this is unbelievable. Can you come back again? And so here is Jesus talking to the most learned men of Israel on the things of God. He's literally teaching the teachers at 12 years of age. Did Jesus have something to say by the time he was 20? Absolutely. He had something to say by the time he was 12. And they were amazed at his wisdom. And it said that all that heard him were astonished, just absolutely uh, overwhelmed at his understanding and answers. Now, back to his parents. And when his parents saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Now, they just did not stop to listen to see what was happening, but what they did is they went in and they said, Jesus, how could you do this? We just can't believe that you would not be with us. Don't you realize we are just grieved not knowing what happened to you? We didn't know if you were dead or alive. Now, Jesus was not being rebellious. 
and he was not being disobedient. Jesus always did that which pleased the Father because the Father said so. So let's look at Jesus' answer as he said to his parents. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Know ye not, I must be about my Father's business. Now that's how Jesus felt. That was his feeling. He said, I just felt as these men were sharing, what an opportunity it had of sharing with them the deeper things of God. And when they asked me to come back, they came back. I did not stop to realize, uh, basically at that time, what this would do to you. What I was doing was sharing with them and uh, beginning my public ministry. Literally what Jesus was saying, and this is a tremendous thing here, because we're going to learn something outstanding from the Word. He said, I just felt that I must now begin to, to public minister. It's the first time that in Scripture where Jesus ministers in a public way. And they understood not the sayings what Jesus spoke unto them. So here we're going to have a conflict of wills. Here we have Jesus saying, I think I should begin my public ministry. Now Jesus is going to become a teenager. He's going and maybe he was just close to 13. His parents said, we think you ought to go with us. Jesus said, I think I ought to stay. You know, if you have teenagers, there comes that time where there's the conflict of wills, where you feel as a parent this should take place, they feel this should take place. You know, the scripture only says two verses about Jesus as a teenager. But what it says is absolutely phenomenal. Let's look at this. Verse 51, it says, He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. There's something extremely significant in this passage here in verse 51. It said that he went down with him. Jesus was obedient. He said, you know, I, I think I could stay here and teach the leaders. The folks say, we think you ought to go. And we read in the word of God, Jesus went with him. He was obedient to what they said. He submitted his will to the will of his parents in his teenage years. But the second thing is even far better not only was he obedient, it said he was subject. And subject had to do with attitudes. So Jesus, on one hand, was obedient with submissive attitudes. And that is what you've got to work with your teenagers. The other day, I got a telephone call from right here uh, at the home office from a mother who called me on the phone because she was having problems with her 13-year-old teenager and as I was talking, the mother said, he's gone into the kitchen. Mr. Logan, he has a butcher knife. He's coming after me with a butcher knife. She turned the phone over to a nine-year-old, and the nine-year-old is giving me a blow-by-blow -blow description, long distance, of this 13-year-old boy uh, going after his mother with a butcher knife. He finally left the house. I just thought, oh, no, am I going to witness a murder over the telephone? This made me sick to my stomach. The, the mother went outside, she came back in and said, Mr. Logan, I have to hang up. I need to call my husband and I'll call you back. She called her husband, we waited. She called back later and in the call back, the mom and this younger boy were in the bedroom and the 13 year old was outside the door with a butcher knife. And so, you know, the, the what a struggle. I, I trust you'll never have a struggle like that. But here is a 13 year old that not only is not gonna be obedient, 
he was nothing but submissive and he was going to have his own way, even if it meant he had to take a butcher knife and frighten his mother or stab her. I don't know if he would have. Don't ask me what he would have. He didn't praise God. He didn't stab his mother. But he sure did attack her and frighten her with this butcher knife. And so here was the Lord Jesus as an example to all teenagers. And that is not only to be obedient on one hand, but to be submissive on the other. There needs to be obedience with submissiveness. And those two together, when that is true in a young man's life, as he goes to the teenage years, then these three things will take place. He will increase in wisdom and stature because uh, as a man is submissive to the authorities he can see, he'll be submissive to God's authorities. And a young man who's submissive to the authorities he can see and submissive to God's authority is one whom God can share his wisdom. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. And they said, in favor with God and with man. I've never seen a teenager who's submissive to his parents and to God that is not well received, not only by God, but by people. And one of the things that causes us to react to, to Christian teenagers is when we see that rebellious teenager shoving away the authority of his parents. Like, you have no right to tell me what to do. I am going to do my own thing. That rebellion will ultimately destroy the child. One thing I want to bring to your attention is this. Before Jesus was 12, his mother and father were building qualities in his life. The scriptures said there were three qualities that were extremely important or extremely evident in Christ's life before he went to the temple. Before he said, I must do this, and my parents say I must do this. You put it together. What were the three areas developed in his life before he was 12? We have in, in uh, the book of, of Luke here, chapter 2, we have Jesus being carried to the temple as a small child. How old he was, I am not sure. But we do know at verse 40, as he went back home to Nazareth, uh, into Galilee, returned to his own city, Nazareth, in verse 39, verse 40, it says, And the child grew, and they do, and he waxed strong in the spirit. That's the first thing. Jesus began to be strengthened in his spirit. Second, he was filled with wisdom. Third, the grace of God was upon his life. The grace of God is the desire and the power to live a godly life. And so God was pouring his grace upon this young man. And so by the time Jesus was 12, these things were evident in his life so that when the conflict of wills came, Jesus surrendered. And I think this is put here for us to tell us that we need to function, that our children in Christian work, I like what Ellen George says. Ellen says, if the enemy cannot get at you, he'll try to get at you through your children. And what you need to do with that child in those years from 5 to 12 is to focus on these three areas. Help this child to be strong in the spirit. Teach him to be wise. Let him be filled with wisdom. And show him how to draw from God's grace this power, this empowering of God upon the life that will be pleasing to him. I would like to end up now all our teaching that we look at three particular passages. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. I think if you do an honest search in the Word of God, as you go through the Word of God, that you're going to have to come to this conclusion. The conclusion is this, 
There is no age of accountability in the Word of God as far as we're talking about a child being able to receive Christ as Savior. I would like to change what we're talking about from the age of accountability to what I believe the Bible teaches when it comes to children, and that is the age of comprehension. And I believe the scripture definitely talks about this. In Isaiah uh, chapter 7, verses uh, 14 through 16, it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse evil and choose the good. Here, here it comes. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39. We'll look at that. For before the child shall know to refuse evil and choose the good. Now here he's, of course, talking about the Lord Jesus. But he's saying this child, there's a time in a child's life where he cannot do this. There's a time in the child's life when he can do this. What can he do? Refuse evil and choose good. There is no way that you can become a Christian till you know that you're a sinner. And when you can refuse evil, you can choose good. There comes a time of choosing. Look at Deuteronomy 1.39. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39. And he's talking here to the whole children of Israel. Moreover, your little ones, which should be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither, and unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. They had no knowledge between good and evil. And then there's those that do. And so we know that the age of comprehension can change with children. Some children are able to comprehend at an early age that they are sinners and that they need the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Our little granddaughter went to a Christian kindergarten in Rhode Island. And while she was there, all of a sudden it dawned on her, although they have talked to her about it in the church they go to, in the clubs she's been to, good news clubs and backyard clubs and all this kind of stuff. She's been through all of that. But somehow it didn't dawn on her. But in kindergarten, there in the class, she realized that she needed the Lord Jesus as her personal Savior. And so she received Jesus as her Savior, and she went and talked to her 12 year uh, to her she was um, I think about five and a half and her brother had been about four and a half and she went to her four and a half year old brother Jeremiah and said Jeremiah do you want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and he said no and she said Jeremiah you're gonna burn in hell and uh, he said I still don't want to and I'm not ready and so she kept talking about it, and our daughter didn't know what to do. And she thought, well, she's burdened for her brother. Should I stop her from trying to witness to him? What do you do? She said, well, I'll just leave it alone and just see what happens because I don't want to discourage her from sharing Christ. She was so burdened for him because she didn't want her little four-and-a-half-year-old brother to burn in hell. Then one day he came. She came running into her mom and dad's bedroom and said, come quick. Jeremiah's ready. And he really was ready. And Jeremiah received Christ as his Savior. He's rather a shy little boy. But he talked to us on the telephone and told us how he had received the Lord Jesus and also had given his testimony in church uh, on a Sunday evening that Christ was his personal Savior. And so there is that time in a child's life. 
And when the child, when that time comes, the child then is ready to receive the Lord. And it could be four for one child, four and a half for another, five for another. We don't want to put an age, but a child must comprehend that there that there that there is evil and that there's a savior, and they have the ability to make the choice. The last verse we want to look at is Jeremiah 4.17. Pardon me, I said Jeremiah, I mean James 4.17. James chapter 4, verse 17. The word of God says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. As soon as a child knows sin is bad, and that bad is sin. They need to know that there is a savior from sin. Now let me say that again, it's extremely important. As soon as a child knows that the bad he is doing is sin, then he needs to know that there is a savior from sin. And that child is able then, with all that he has, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal savior. And most of us know that long before a child is 12, this takes place. Um, many children by the age six have no problem at all. And I would say probably most children by the age that they're six years of age, with no problem at all, know that if you share with them that bad is sin, and they can comprehend that Jesus is the savior from sin. And we've, one of our daughters was saved uh, her sister was going to kindergarten at five, and she was, I think, almost four years of age, almost like five and a half. There's a, about a year and a half difference between them. And they were all, she was almost, um, probably almost five, the other one almost six. And I was using these little uh, uh, viewmasters of the crucifixion, and we were looking in the resurrection. We were looking at it, and we got through, and the oldest girl said, Dad, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. And so she prayed and asked the Lord to be her Savior from sin. Her sister, looking at him, who was the younger one, said, Me too. And I thought, Oh, no, not a me too. <laughs> you know, do me too's really get saved? And she accepted the Lord as her Savior. And me too also has gone to Bible school. And me too was a missionary for 10 years. And me too never doubted salvation. Yes, even in between four and five, a me too can be saved once they know that what? That they've sinned, that their bad is sin, they can know that Jesus is the Savior from sin. Father, thank you for the tremendous truth that the age of comprehension goes down very low. Father, we're thankful that the Holy Spirit can minister in the life of a very young child and that they can know that their bad is sin and they can know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior from that sin. Thank you, Father, for this time together. May we never doubt that a very little child can know the Lord Jesus Christ as the eternal Savior.